You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Ameren here on the Cardinals Radio Network, our first show of 2021. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here. Claves, happy new year, man. Glad we get a chance to hopefully, maybe, Start talking about some stuff on the field here in the not-too-distant future because we've all been waiting for January to come so we could get all the business taken care of that normally happens in December. Well, the best thing about 21 is 20 is in the rearview mirror, and you're right. <laughs> and I, and I kind of think we're going to see some things unfold. Uh, we're getting closer to spring training as far as the traditional dates, uh, but there's still a lot of work to be done with regard to when we're going to do it, how many games we're going to have, and just how spring training is going to look from a health standpoint. But I think at some point here in the very near future, some decisions are going to have to be made. We'll write them down in pencil like we did last season, because as we know, these things are quite fluid, but we're going to have to start at some point soon. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, we're, we're six weeks away from when spring training is supposed to start. And, you know, earlier this week, there was a report that Major League Baseball and the Players Association have understood that Right now, everything's going as scheduled because that's what the collective bargaining se- agreement says. So Major League Baseball can't push anything back without approval from the union. So right now, it's supposed to be report on time, start on time, and we'll see where COVID takes us. So something's going to have to happen with all these free agents, claims because we only got six weeks to sort it out. Oh, I think we're going to have some guys in the late night trying to do deals leading right up to and including spring training. And there may be some guys that'll be late because there's a lot of guys out there. And I think everybody's just trying to keep their finger on the pulse of the market and make sure that they don't overspend or in some cases underspend. And it's something that patience is going to still be required, much like we saw in 2020. You know, and, and look, there, there are a lot of different layers to this, you know, and we, we are, you know, here in St. Louis, closely following what's going on with Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright. And, you know, in particular, Yadi claims, I mean, his marketplace probably is going to be largely determined by what happens with JT Realmuto. You know, we've seen the Padres and Mets make moves that would seemingly take them out of the running for Yadi. Uh, the Phillies would make some sense, but they're in on Realmuto. They want to keep him. So, you know, and that's kind of where it seems to be, like teams like Washington, maybe the Yankees. They have other options in place, and I think, you know, we may get some, I don't want to say final, you know, anything final, but we may start get some more information on what it would take to keep Yachty around once we kind of see where Real Mudo goes and what the rest of the catching marketplace looks like. Yeah, I would agree with you, Kevin, and I think here's the other X factor that goes into this. Uh, Yachty probably wants to play for a team that's a good team. Oh, compared yeah. to uh, just being with another team that didn't have the Cardinals logo on it. So I think when you look at that number uh, that that gets reduced even more, there aren't as many options out there as you might think. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point that, you know, when we when we look at, you know, free agency here, there are only a few really high-end free agents that people are talking about. And then there's a large group that are in that next level down. Good players, some of them even everyday players, but they're just not at that super high level. And what I'm really interested to see, Claves, is what the money looks like for that second tier and how many years they're looking at, right? I mean, you know, how many of these guys are in free agency for the first time looking at this and saying, wow, this is literally the worst year ever to be a free agent with COVID and 
the, the collective bargaining agreement coming up at the end of 2021. I wonder if we'll see t- guys that are trying to get multi-year deals to cover themselves or guys that are going to take one-year deals because the money isn't what they were hoping. Well, I, I think you're going to see some guys that are going to have long-term deals as we've been accustomed to. But I think you're going to have a lot more guys that are going to find themselves with one-year deals, maybe one in an option, uh, but nothing of the long-term variety that they probably hoped they were going to get before COVID struck. Yeah, I think that's going to be – and I think that's – again, that's kind of what we're looking at too with the Cardinals moving forward. We don't have any idea yet, you know, what exactly they could be looking at. But, you know, with the number of people that might take, you know, relatively inexpensive one-year deals, I think that, that may be an area to keep our eyes on when it comes to – a bat or two that might be able to give you a little bit of help, even if it's not someone that answers every question you have by themselves. Yeah. You know, there's, there's going to be a lot of questions that are going to have answers at a very late stage of what we yeah. call the off season. And, uh, and everybody's kind of with the exception of San Diego, and there've been a couple of other teams that have made some nice moves. Everybody's kind of sitting back, but here's my concern. And I'll even start in our division with the teams that have already taken a step back with regard to the 2021 season and and have not shown uh, the propensity. They're trying to improve their ball clubs, uh, saving money on the salary side, moving talent around. Uh, That's my greater concern that we don't have this become a widespread issue throughout baseball because the players aren't going to like it. The fans certainly aren't going to like it. Uh, and I'm not sure if it bodes well for the league itself if we continue to see this trend. Now, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about the Central Division later this hour. David Kaplan's going to join us from Chicago, give us the latest on what's going on with the Cubs in the wake of the U Darvish trade that went down last week. Uh, on top of that, we'll catch up with Mike Gersh next hour. Uh, also, we're going to have some fun this, this, in this show tonight, too. We've got a couple of the 2020 Cardinals Hall of Famers joining us tonight. John Tudor uh, a little later this hour. Tommy Hearn next hour. Uh, so plenty of great stuff coming your way here on the Cardinals countdown to opening day. Even though we don't have free agent signings or big trades to break down yet this week, we got plenty to do. And we're going to continue the baseball conversation with our good friend John Rooney coming up next here on the Cardinals countdown to opening day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals radio network. Oh, we're rolling along on the Cardinals countdown to opening day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals radio network. And we're into the new year. It's time for us to start catching up with some of the friends we haven't talked to in a while and right now we get a chance to talk to our friend John Rooney. Of course, John, happy new year. Uh, hope everything's well. Hope everybody's healthy and good to get a chance to talk to you. Yeah, same here, Kevin. Clave, it's always good to join you. And uh, let's uh, get to some baseball. I, I hope we have some news that we can pass <laughs> along to fans before too long about what's going to take place in 2021. But we're going to have baseball at some point, and, uh, and I, I can't wait for it. You know, John, I think you you hit the nail on the head. We're all waiting on news. I mean, it would be, be nice to know when the if we're going to have a DH or not. Uh, I don't know if spring training will start on time. We don't know what that's going to look like. But I, I agree. We're going to have a game. We don't know when it's going to start, but we're getting closer to it than we were, let's say, last year because I, I think they've got a better handle on things. But still a lot of, a lot of things in front of them to do. So with that said, a lot of things have happened off the field, especially in our division, where the Cubs seem like they raised the white flag and surrender as they move some players. Milwaukee is kind of in a holding pattern. Cincinnati, I think, is taking a step back, especially in the pitching department. And then you have Pittsburgh, who has basically surrendered for this year and the foreseeable future. Well, there you have. And, and I'd like to know what's going to happen. Uh, I'm sure all, all Cardinal Nation would. 
with Yadier Molina and with Adam Wainwright. Mm. Uh, I get more questions about them than anybody because uh, they're so well-liked and so well-loved, and for good reason. I mean, uh, battery mates uh, going way back to when Rain- Wainwright came up in uh, 2006 and turned starter in 07. Uh, it, it's just a great history, and uh, and I know Mo is doing his best to try to keep them, but what are the ground rules coming up? Uh, mm-hmm. Are we going to be able to have fans at some point? Uh, what kind of budget is going to be available? Oh, those are all questions that, that have to be answered, and yeah, it looks like the Cubs have taken a step back and uh, other teams within the division that uh, if uh, Mo can get uh, the pitching lined up with Mike Schilt and with uh, Mike Maddox and, and with Brian Eversgird, um, I, I think that's going to take the Cardinals a long way because that is a, a strength of the team right along with the, the team defense. And uh, I, I wouldn't mind having Colton Wong back either, but uh, we have to see how all this plays out and what the ground rules will be. And right now, we don't know. No, and, you know, we talked to Mo a couple of weeks ago, John, and he, he said exactly what you just did. There's a lot of information that's being sought. There are a few teams that are making moves, but not many. You know, it's like two or three teams that are, that are really out there in an aggressive posture right now. Well, it looks like San Diego wants to win right <laughs> yeah. now, but, but yeah. what are the ground rules? I mean, what, when yeah. are we going to play? Uh, uh, Thorn in their side has been the team just north of them at Dodger Stadium, and it looks like uh, they've, they've really put the challenge – uh, to the Dodgers to uh, try to equal what the Padres have done. Uh, they have a good lineup. They can strike. Uh, we saw that in game two of the playoff series when it looked like the Cardinals might be able to uh, sweep that series in the three-gamer to uh, get started. But uh, they're they're a good ball club. The Dodgers will be good again, and I think Houston will be good again. But uh, in, in the East, we'll see what uh, the Mets are able to come up with and how much improved the Marlins are. Uh, they made some big strides, and mm-hmm. they've made some uh, some changes to their overall operation. Uh, it, it will be a very interesting year once we find out, okay, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and then we'll see what uh, free agents end up signing and what uh, trades will take place at that point. And, and um, I do agree with Mo uh, where he thought that the normal December activity would take place somewhere in January or maybe early February compared to uh, what we've had in the past. Um, All bets are off in that regard, but uh, it's fun to talk about it. It's fun to think about it, but it will be even more fun to see what happens when they get all the rules worked out. In 2020, we saw some changes, uh, the seven-inning doubleheader, the three-batter minimum. Uh, Anything you'd like to see in 21? I've asked this question to a few different people, and I I seem like I'm getting the same answer, where everybody liked the seven-inning doubleheader format. Uh, the other things we're still trying to figure out, but what stood out for you that you like? Well, I love the seven-inning doubleheader format. I've loved that since I worked the minor leagues in the old American Association back in the early 80s when I was in Oklahoma City and then uh, at the uh, Cardinals AAA level down in Louisville. Uh, it, it makes uh, for a much quicker day. You get those two games in. Your pitching isn't burnt out. Even if you have an extra inning game of a couple, three innings, uh, it doesn't just tear up your, your bullpen for – another week or 10 days or force the organization to make several moves just to try to keep the arms fresh. And um, that's what I liked about it at the minor league level. And I think it worked out well at the major league level. It worked out for the Cardinals where they could make the playoffs by playing so many double headers to make up for the 17 days they missed when they had that COVID hit. So I like that part of it. I don't like the three batter minimum. I don't think it makes that much of a difference overall. Uh, you're you're gonna you're gonna have some matchups in mind when they bring the pitcher in, and the left-handed pitcher uh, 
he has a pretty good changeup, he'll probably be able to maneuver some right-handed batters. But um, no, I didn't, I, and I didn't really care for the runner at second base to start extra innings. Uh, it was all right for last season, but going forward, uh, I'm glad they didn't have that uh, available for the postseason. John, we appreciate you catching up with us here on the show. Obviously, uh, Happy New Year to you. Stay healthy, and we'll look forward to hopefully at some point, fingers crossed, knocked on wood, we'll all be uh, at a ballpark somewhere near us here in the not-too-distant future. But thank you for joining us. Well, I'm with you, Kevin. I I can't wait until we can have a show where we're talking about uh, who did what in the second or third inning to uh, help the (laughs) Cardinals win a game or what pitcher looked good and uh, what young player that uh, has impressed everybody and getting ready for a season. I can't wait to get back to that. But Happy New Year, everybody, and uh, look forward to talking to you guys again soon. And many thanks to our good friend John Rooney for jumping on the show with us here for the first time in 2021. I want to remind you that you can gear up for the season with a subscription to Cardinals Magazine, your premier source for Cardinals coverage in season and out. Sign up at cardinals.com slash magazine, or you can call 314-345-9000. Coming up next... We're going to talk to 2020 Cardinals Hall of Fame inductee. Well, soon to be inductee. He's been selected for induction now. We're going to talk to John Tudor when we come back here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. All right, we're back in on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here in our first show of the new year. And I think it's fitting, Claibs, that in our first show of the new year, we're going to be celebrating the guys that are going into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. And one of those guys joining us right now, that's John Tudor, of course, uh, a guy that Cardinals fans know and love, uh, selected for induction into the Cardinals Hall of Fame in 2020, and very much looking forward to all of the ceremonies that g- didn't get to happen last year, happening now this year. John, congratulations. Thanks for doing this. We appreciate you. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. And hey, before we get started here, hey, hey Mike, I want to know, you you getting yourself in shape for uh, 2022 camp? John, I am ready to go. John, when you see me, you will be shocked. I will be ready to go. I am in the best shape of my life. And uh, you look great. You, you look good last year. I mean, you look good physically last year. You just can't play. Yeah, that's it. That's all it is. I mean, you know, I look the part, man. It's just the skill set that has not followed me as I've gotten older. Let's just put it that way. But I'll be ready. I'll be ready to contribute in some way, shape, or form. Trust me. <laughs> Sounds good. When you got the call from Bill DeWitt that you were going to be part of the, the Cardinals Hall of Fame, and, and you played with some guys on the that are in the Hall of Fame, probably played against a few. But what was it like for you when you got that call? Well, it was great. I mean, I was uh, you know obviously you know hoping to get the call. Uh, it was uh, you know a great honor, obviously to be to be you know uh, especially being selected by the fans. That was. You know that makes it even makes it even even sweeter for that to be the case, and uh, and, and I've, I've said this a million times that you know the, the people in St. Louis have always been so so good to me, and every time I go back there, I come back here. My wife says, you know, she's you know, like, hey, you well, you walking around, you got a big head now, like you know, what's what's the deal, you know? And I said, well, you know, I just been in St. Louis, and you know, everybody, not everybody, but some people I see will say, hey, look, well, you were my favorite player, and it's it's always good for that. You know, it's always good to get back to St. Louis and, and uh, you know see great baseball people. John, I'm gonna I'm gonna flash back a little further. Uh, t- take me back to your arrival in St. Louis. I mean, obviously, 1985 I- I- after the fact turned out to be an amazing year. Almost won the Cy Young Award. Of course, the team had a lot of success. You guys went to the World Series. But what did what what were your expectations? What were your understandings of what it was like in St. Louis 
when you arrived before you had to experience it? I mean, I didn't really have any expectations of what it was like to be a Cardinal. I mean, that that, that took a little while to figure that out. You know, you, you, when you're around the Gibsons and the Brocks and the and the Floods and, uh, you know, and, and any number of guys, you know, Shandies and, and those those type of guys uh, on, on a, you know, on a semi-regular basis, you, you kind of learn what it's like. I mean, all these guys are really – every Cardinal – Hall of Famer I've ever met has is, is always been such a class act and, you know, just, you know, speak, speaks volumes to, uh, to the organization and, 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 and the people in St. Louis because the people in St. Louis create the player. It, it, the reality of it is, I think, you know, or, or create the persona of the player. And, um, you know, I can, you know, just, you know, kind of touching on your question a little bit, I, I can remember sitting in the dugout when I was with the Pirates for that one year uh, in St. Louis and sitting next to, uh, you know, Rick Roden and, and, uh, Larry McWilliams and you know Candelario was 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 probably in someone in that area, would, depending upon which one of us happened to be pitching that day, and and, and watching the Cardinals play, watching the way they played defense, uh, looking at the ballpark, seeing the sea of red, and listening to the fans and saying, "Man, wouldn't this be a great place to play?" And I mean, I never in a million years I didn't really think it would be me. I knew I knew that one of us was going to go in the off season because they had just traded to me, and they didn't need pitching; they needed just about everything else. Uh, but um, I was I was really happy when it was me when I got the phone call. Hey, when you got to St. Louis, it was a lot of different personalities on that ball club, and you found a way to fit in with everybody else. Who did you learn the most from about the game and, and that team that you were with other than Whitey? I mean, Whitey was obviously the catalyst because he brought a lot of guys in, but as a teammate, who did you learn the most from? I mean, you kind of learn how to carry yourself by, you know, by watching Ozzy and 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 you and you learn, not, not and not not that Ozzy wasn't competitive, but you but you learn how how important being really ultra competitive was from somebody like Jack Clark, and, you know, how to be a good teammate from a guy like Danny Cox, and the, the, I mean, you say there's a bunch of different personalities on that team, but there's a bunch of different personalities on every team, but that one really meshed. Uh, I can honestly say that I think every everybody in there got along. I mean, we have our moments. Everybody has their moments where somebody says something stupid or does something, and you know, and, and you're mad at them for you know for a couple innings. But you know, that's that's just being an athlete. You know, absolutely. No, you know, I, I got to believe, John. I know it's a different era when it comes to pitching. I mean, it was definitely more about getting guys to put the ball in play than it is now, which is all about the strikeout. Had to be pretty comforting looking around the the guys you mentioned on the Pittsburgh side, looking at how they played defense. Had to be pretty nice knowing those guys were behind you with all that speed, all that range, and all that ability to make plays for you. Yeah, I mean, it didn't take long to figure out that if you put the ball, if I if I do my job and make them put the ball in play, uh, you know, good things are going to happen. You know, ninety nine times out of a hundred, and um, you know, a lot of mistakes that, that that I made, we made as a staff, never showed up in the line score because of because of that defense. You know, with the, with Andy and Willie and and Vince in the outfield, and you know Terry and Tommy and 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 Ozzy and you know and and you know Jack making the plays at first base. You know, it was it was a it was it was a great team. It really was. It was the best team I was ever on, without a doubt. And uh, and, and you know, my my biggest disappointment my entire career was you know was Game Seven. So. Well, welcome to that club. John Tudor, Cardinal Hall of Famer, is our guest. And, John, when you talk about make, you can make a mistake and somebody could cover you, that that's, seems like we're going in a different direction today with the game where guys want to strike everybody out. The defense may not be as good behind you. Do you think a guy like yourself, because you weren't a hard thrower, but you knew how to spot the ball, do you think a guy like you would get noticed as much as maybe at the time when you were pitching? 
I don't know. I, mean, I came up thrown in the low 90s, low mid 90s, uh, and you know, over the years with you know arm problems, my my velocity tailed off quite a bit. I mean, I was still throwing 80, 88, 89, that 85 season in, in St. Louis, and you know, back in those days, you know, that was a, that was in a, a little bit above average fastball, and, and um, there were there were really only so many Todd Worrells in the game at that point. Now now it's all about velocity. Uh, I have to think scouting a pitcher as a big league scout is just pulling a trigger on a gun. Uh, from what I see, these guys don't learn how to pitch in the minor league because they throw so damn hard they don't have to. And, uh, you know, they blow people away in the minor leagues. And then when you get to the big leagues, it's a whole new ballgame. You know, big league hitters are they're not just a step above. They're, they're you know, they're, they're a couple of yards above, you know, minor league hitters in, in their discipline and their ability to make adjustments during the course of a game, which, in my opinion, is the biggest difference between a big league player and a minor league player is the ability to make adjustments during the course of a game and figure out, a, what is that hitter trying to do to me as a pitcher? Or B, what is that pitcher? What's he want to do to me right now? What's he want me to try and do? And I heard somebody make a comment one time that uh, that a big league hitter can time a rocket ship seen enough pitches. You know, when you just turn around and throw 98 down the middle of the plate over and over and over again, sooner or later you're going to get burned. You know, it's obviously changed the way the you know, the bullpens are used, too. I mean, I look at, you know, just 85 right. as an example. I mean, you and Joaquin Andohar, Danny Cox, you guys – the innings totals you guys had in that season would blow away almost everybody today. I mean, you you threw 275 innings and had 14 complete games. I mean, that that you know that that number of complete games is a five six year run even for a Cy Young caliber guy now. Yeah, I mean it's, it's a different game, and 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 the um, and, and the Gibsons in the in the eras before me were throwing yeah. 325 innings and 300 you know 30 innings and completing 17 18 19 games. So that you know the the game is going. Kind of in the wrong direction, I guess. I guess if, I guess if it is the wrong direction, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a computer guy, so I guess I don't really understand the game anymore. But um, yeah, the, the game's change. It's, it changes. It, it changes over years. And like I said, we threw less innings than, than than the Gibsons did. And 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 you go back before that. Although I don't know, you know, those guys were starting, you know, fifty games back in the. <laughs> 20s and stuff but it's uh you know it, it, the game the game changes there's no there's no doubt the game has changed a hey, final question for me john tudor um when you were coming up through the minors and obviously getting to the major leagues one of the things we don't see today are kids who learn how to pitch out of trouble until they get to the big leagues when did you learn how to make those adjustments at, at what level in your in your baseball career did you have to learn how to pitch out of trouble and, and make adjustments something you touched on a little earlier I came up primarily, I was a reliever early in my career. I mean, I would start, I mean, I would relieve the first two-thirds of the season because I wasn't a high draft pick, I wasn't a prospect. So I would relieve, you know, two-thirds of the season and get to start the last third. You know, up up until probably my second year, my, my maybe, my, yeah, my second full year in AAA is when I'd become a full-time starter. And, and there was, a, there was a, a banker of all people in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, where the Red Sox AAA team was. Because we didn't have pitching coaches at every level back in those days, or hitting coaches, you had you had a manager and you had a player coach, you know, a guy that was the bench coach, but he was also on the active roster, and so you just had a roving pitching coach that you would see every you know every couple of months. You might see him you know once every two months, and and even then back then, you know, at least from my experience in the in the organization I was in, if you weren't a high prospect, you weren't getting a lot of time out of that guy, and. Um, hmm. There was a banker in Pawtucket. His name was Chet Nichols, and he was a left-handed pitcher with the with the Boston Braves. 
uh, you know, back when Boston, back when the Boston Braves were in existence. So he's a big league pitcher. And, and he used to take me aside, and he, he was the first one really to ever grab me and pull me aside after a game and say, hey, look, let's talk about this. Why did you do this? Hmm. What made you pitch to this guy? What made you m- make this particular pitch in this particular spot as opposed to maybe you, you face the righty with second and third and a base open and, and he hit a double in the gap as opposed to maybe pitching to the lefty with the bases loaded and the game on the line and when you maybe have a maybe you have the advantage and he's really the first one that made me start to think about start to think about the game a little bit and uh, so I, I mean I give him a lot of credit for for my adjustment as a pitcher and then you know once it, when I started to lose velocity a little bit and develop the change up then I started to you know start to have to you know think a little bit more and you know try and figure things out. Well, I'll tell you, it turned out pretty well. <laughs> it turned out in a, as a, you know, in a spot now in the Cardinals uh, Hall of Fame. And again, congratulations on that, John. It's a pleasure getting a chance to catch up. We appreciate you doing this. Uh, Happy New Year to you. And of course, hopefully later on in the summer, things are normal. We'll see you guys around the ballpark when it's time to celebrate your class and then the one that will be coming up again later on this year, too. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, it'd be good just to get back to normal. All things else aside, you know, it's, it's just get this stuff behind us. It'd be good. And many thanks to John Tudor for joining us here on the Countdown to Opening Day show. I want to remind you that well, right now it's a little chilly outside and we're all dreaming of the summer months when we can enjoy time together outside. Uh, keep in mind Cardinal special events. They offer all sorts of unique options for celebrating outdoors at beautiful Bush Stadium from cocktails on the warning track to brunch in the bullpen. Your group will be sure to take memories and make memories that will last a lifetime. Go to cardinals.com slash events to find out more. Stick around. Coming up next, we'll talk to David Kaplan from Chicago. What's going on with the Cubs? We'll get the latest from Cap. Coming up, it's the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network.
Countdown to opening day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you. Happy to have Dave Kaplan with us coming at us from Chicago. Of course, uh, he is the co-host of Cap and Jay Hood on ESPN 1000 up in Chicago. Works for NBC Sports Chicago as well. Thank you for doing this, man. Happy New Year to you. Well, it's an honor to be on with you guys. I always love coming out in St. Louis, Missouri and ruffling the feathers of Redbird Nation. (laughs) You have been a busy man this offseason. Uh, both your teams have been quite busy. The, the White Sox have a new manager. Uh, they've done some things on the broadcast side, and the Cubs have decided they wanted to raise the white flag in, in January compared to April uh, with the moves that they've had. What's been the most intriguing thing that you've seen between those two teams? You've got one team, the Cubs, who hold the lion's share of the fan base. They look across town and they say, wait a minute. That other team's really good. They could win the World Series this year with a couple of astute moves. Yeah, let's trade you, Darvish, and let's get <laughs> two 17-year-olds that might in five years make the big leagues, and that would be a fast timetable. So, yeah, I'm a little surprised. And then when you factor in that the Cubs haven't done anything to improve their team over the past two and a half, three years other than – Daniel Descalso, who was a complete and total failure here, they've done nothing, literally nothing. And they have the 27th-ranked farm system. And yet we're in a division where no one's trying to win. That's the amazing thing. We're looking at the the four teams that looked like they were contenders last year. Milwaukee and St. Louis are kind of doing the same thing right now, which is not much, just waiting to see how the market plays. The Reds have subtracted. I don't know. The Cubs haven't gone full fire sale, but – Based on how you're putting it and based on what I know from my friends that live up there in Chicago, there are a lot of people that are just not happy with anything to do with how that thing's being run. You have a family that if I had told Cubs fans the day I I was there, I emceed the press conference, October 30, 2009. That's the day the Ricketts family took control. If I had told Cub fans that night on my radio show, guess what? Give them seven years. You're going to have a fully rebuilt stadium. You're going to have brand-new facility at spring training that is as good as there is in the game. Guess what? You're going to have a brand-new facility in the Dominican, which is as good as there is in the game. And you're not only going to beat the St. Louis Cardinals in the playoffs, you're (laughs) going to win the World Series in 2016 in an epic World Series. People would have said, where, where do we start building the statues? <laughs> and I like Tom Ricketts. I get along with the family very well because they deal with them on a baseball front. But you've got Laura Ricketts, who is as left-wing, and I'm not criticizing her for it. I'm just stating a fact. She's as left-wing as they come. You've got Pete Ricketts, one of the board members, who's the ultra-right-wing governor of the state of Nebraska. Todd Ricketts, another board member, who is the fundraising chairman of Reelect Trump 2020. And then you've got Tom, who stays out of politics, but leans to the right. Oh, and then the dad has some bad emails come out. He funded a super PAC to try and get Obama beat. And so people just, they don't know these people, but their perception of the Ricketts family has changed dramatically. Now you have the owner say, biblical losses, which... When you lose almost $200 million, I guess someone could call that. People don't want to hear a billionaire cry poor. They just don't. They want to come home from their 
nine to five job, crack a beer, eat some food, and watch their Cubs win. And they don't want to hear, we can't afford that guy. So that kind of gives you a nutshell of what's going on up here. Cap, uh, were you surprised when they decided to to scale back on finances? I know they made a lot of investments in the neighborhood around Wrigley Field, but were you surprised that they scaled back as quickly as they did and, and continue to offer up players that they don't appear to want to play in the future? I was not surprised, Michael, that they traded you, Darvish. And in and of itself, I think it's actually a very intelligent move Let's not discuss yet what they got, but you Darvish is going to be 35 this season. You Darvish has never had a successful full season with the Chicago Cubs. He came here in 18. He went on the injured list in May, had arm surgery. The year was over and everyone went, what a horrible signing. That guy's a bust. The next year, he's awful until July one. And then he decides to start using his cutter and fastball more. And he has a sensational second half. Then we have a pandemic. And he, what did he start? 13, 14 times, maybe 12. Finishes second in the Cy Young in a 60-game season. Everyone's like, oh, my God, he's the greatest pitcher in the world. Well, how about putting a full season together? So the San Diego Padres, and I confirmed this with multiple sources, they were the only team in baseball, and every team got a call. Everyone, wow. you want you Darvish. They're the only one that said they would take $52 million of the 59 or 60 left on his deal. They called the White Sox. They wow. called everybody. And everyone said, yeah, I'll give you a couple prospects, but I'm not taking all that money. Padres are in it to win it. So I don't have a problem moving a almost 35-year-old guy and getting back. What you got back is okay. Who knows? The, the day they traded – Fernando Tatis from the White Sox for James Shields. He was 17. He's turned into maybe the best player in the sport or one of them. So who knows what you get? My point is, if you're trying to win next year, you're not taking 17-year-olds. Right. That's exactly a good point. You know, it's funny uh, that the the riff you just went on, Cap, about perspective is interesting because I know Klaibs and I have probably had that same conversation here. You know, you've got a lot of – uh, of uneasiness in the fan base because the offense isn't good enough and the division is there for the taking and nothing's happening. Molina and Wayno are still sitting out there. And then you look back on it and you're like, yeah, and you've also got two World Series in the last 15 years and you've had one losing season in 15 years. It's interesting that no matter how you want to look at it, both of these franchises, it kind of feels like you're in a similar place. You're not tearing it down, but you're also not going for it either. And that's got fans kind of on the edge. Our fan base here feels like, hold on a second, you are billionaires. You actually just sold a ton of your TD Ameritrade to Charles Schwab, and you made like 2 or $3 billion. We don't want to hear that you can't afford to compete. Now, do I think they should get under the luxury tax? Yes, you can't go three years in a row in the tax, or it's, the penalties are so onerous that it really is a detriment to your franchise. I get that. But you're telling me that you can't go out and be competitive? Like, you couldn't have made the trade to get Lance Lynn, who's a really quality pitcher, instead of the White Sox? He makes $9 million a year. You lost a ton of money off the books. John Lester, you saved after his buyout $15 million. You saved 13 on Tyler Chatwood, another astute signing that we made. <laughs> you had Brandon Morrow's money fall off the books. Like, 
You cut Kyle Schwarber. There's a bunch of guys that are off the books. You traded Darvish. Why can't you replace him? That's not how they're thinking of it this year. All right, I want to go to the north side for a minute and talk to you about the White Sox. Uh, You and I talked right after they hired Tony La Russa. I know it wasn't a popular hire with regard to the media, but how are things starting to settle in as they start to really put an interesting roster together? There are some you know, fans that are still like, I can't believe Jerry Reinsdorf hired his buddy. That said, <laughs> his buddy is one of the great managers in the history of the sport. Yeah. And I've talked to three or four of the players since then, and all of them have said, I'll be honest with you, man, I didn't know what to think when we hired him. He's been nothing but awesome to deal with on the phone. He's bilingual, and so he's connected with some of the Latin players. The Cuban players especially have this really close bond with Moncada and Luis Robert and Jose Abreu. Mm-hmm. And so I think people are starting to go, well, if you're going to add all these really good players, I think I could probably deal with Tony being the manager. And if they win... There's going to be the biggest take that party from the <laughs> executive suite over there. I tell you that. And again, thanks to David Kaplan from ESPN 1000 and NBC Sports Chicago for jumping in and painting a little picture of what's going on on the north side. Cardinals rivals to the north certainly having their own version of an interesting off season. I want to remind you that the 2021 Cardinals Care Winter Warm-Up is going virtual this year. Tickets for virtual experiences with your favorite current and former Cardinals are on sale now. Great prices on those, too. For more information, go to cardinals.com slash WWU. Stick around. Up next, we're going to give away a 2021 calendar right here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. One on, nobody out. The 2 pitch. Here you swing a long fly ball in the left field. This is going to leave the park. The Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron. That ball's hit deep to left. This one's going to be out of here. Get up, baby. Get up, get up, get up. Oh, yeah. This one is going to go. Oh, my. He got all of that one. Now, Mike Claiborne and Kevin Wheeler and the Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. All right, kicking off the second hour here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here. Uh, Claib's already knocked out a great hour with uh, John Rooney and John Tudor, David Kaplan. Uh, we'll talk to the Cardinals general manager, Mike Gersh, coming up next. Uh, Tom Hur a little later on this hour. So we got a lot going on here in the first uh, first show of the new year. And, you know, we get to this time of year, Claib's. this is, uh, as we talked about with, with John Rooney a little earlier, it's the time of year where – we're starting to count Hall of Fame ballots and keep track of who may or may not get in. And, you know, it, it's tracking this year, Claves. like we may not get anybody in. There are a bunch of guys close, but this may be a year where we don't have any new additions. I'm beginning to feel that same way, Kevin. Uh, if we get one, maybe two, I don't know who it would be because they're all starting to kind of level off. Mm-hmm. But I, I'll tell you, the, the Hall of Fame – for me, for baseball has become fascinating and yet frustrating in, in what the criteria is at this point and how some people can move up the ladder, uh, you know, when they had been said before that they'd never get in for one reason or another, maybe because they, they were on right. PDs or they were doing this. And now all of a sudden they gain momentum. 
And there are a lot of guys who are probably on the cusp of being what we would call Hall of Famers. If we just look at the numbers across the board, be it 500 home runs or 3,000 hits, whatever your gold standard might be, we don't have a lot of those guys. So we have guys that are right on the cusp, and it really comes down to me of actually watching them play and seeing the impact that they had on the game and how good they were in their position, no matter what it is, during their time of play. And, and I think that's what it's going to end up coming down to. I just don't know if there are enough voters that are willing to buy into that. Yeah, they're, they're you know, it's, it's, a, it's complicated right now because there are three or four guys that are the leading percentage, guys getting the leading percentage of votes that have problems that people want to talk about, right? I mean, obviously, Bonds, Clemens, and Schilling. Now, they're both, all three of them are well over 70%, but they're not at the necessary 75%. They are close enough to where it's possible if there's a late run of of ballots going in their direction cuz when we're looking at this and by the way Ryan Thibodeau does a great job of this uh, you can people can follow him on Twitter it's at not mr tibbs but the voters all submit their ballots to him some of them anonymously some of them put their names on it but he he tabulates it all and gives us an idea of where we are and you know he's got about 30% of the ballots submitted to him now and with that in or at that number, nobody's getting in, but Bonds is at 74%, Clemens is at 73.5%, Schilling's at 72.5%, and my favorite development in all of this is the the progress that Scott Rowland's made. Claves, I know we talked about it with John Rooney, but he's almost at 70% right now, and he's only in his fourth year. When guys get to that upper 60 to 70% range, they get in usually. No, I agree with you. And when you look at his body of work, whether it was in Philadelphia and St. Louis, the two cities he spent the most time in, uh, there wasn't there wasn't a guy that was better than him at that time as far as playing third base and what he meant to his ball clubs. And and I agree with you. I think people have kind of pushed him up the ladder uh, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, third base, there aren't a lot of third basemen in the Hall of Fame. Nope. I mean, it's one of those positions where you just don't have a lot of them. But I think his body of work, certainly what we saw here in St. Louis, and obviously the reason why the Cardinals traded for him from Philadelphia, would, would give me the reason that he is a Hall of Famer. And I, I think it's going to happen sooner than later. Yeah, and again, it doesn't look like it's going to be this year, but it certainly looks like it's going to happen within his 10-year window. And, you know, one of my greater beefs, Claves, about – the way things have gone historically, and I'm hoping that they're changing because what we're seeing with some of these players, the, you know, the kind of the, the tabulations changing is more new voters are coming in. You know, a few years back, they 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 kind of cleaned up the mess of people that were still voting but hadn't covered baseball in like ten or twelve years or weren't still active. So they kind of cleaned the voter rolls up a little bit. Uh, there a lot of newer ones that are coming on board, and they seem to be more analytically inclined. And that's actually something that helped Larry Walker and it helped Tim Raines. And it looks like it's going to help a guy like Scott Rowland who, you know, contributes both sides of the ball, right? He's a positive both with offense and defense. And there just aren't that many people in history that, that are really a highly positive contributor with both the glove and the bat. Hey, do you see anybody else that would fit in this, this category of Scott Rowland that's on the ballot? There's some intriguing names that, that are out there that, that, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they may not have the 500 home runs or 3,000 hits, but when you watch them play, you look around and you say, there wasn't anybody better than this guy at his position. And, and I think we've got a lot of those guys. So do we adjust the qualifications that we've been going by for all these years yeah. to accommodate these guys? And I think that's where the question is. I'm with you. And look, one of those guys for me is actually a contemporary of Scott Rowland and a similar player. 
and it's Andrew Jones. I mean, that's, Andrew, that's the guy I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah I mean, same Andrew guy. Jones is arguably one of the handful of the greatest defensive center fielders this game has seen. I mean, looking at the at the number of Gold Gloves, and by the way, all of his Gold Gloves were in a row, right? So he dominated a period of time, right? He dominated. He was in the Aussie division. He's in yeah, the he, Aussie category. Yeah, yeah, just he, just write it down because he's not going to have that bad of a year. Trust me. That's right. He had ten straight Gold Gloves. I mean, like, and in that time. A 50-home run season, a 40-home run season. Now, was he amazing after that? No, injuries kind of caught up with him in his in his early 30s. And, and you know, we forget he broke in as a 19-year-old. Yeah, he pl- so, played as a kid, right? Yeah, yeah. And he played in the World Series as a 19, 20-year-old. But, you know, again, he's a guy. 400 homers, 1,300 ribbies, he, you know, he's and 10 gold gloves. And I really do think that we need to do a better job of getting players like this. And to me, this is this is the argument that I made for Larry Walker. It's like, how can you be a strong, outstanding, all-around player for a long period of time and not be a Hall of Famer? It's just nonsense. I, I agree. And, and I hope that people will have a different opinion of how this selection process works because there are some Hall of Fame-worthy guys that are out there that just don't get their due because yep. they don't blow their own horn. They're not in a big market. And, you know, they're not on TV. And we have a tendency to overlook how good those guys were. And, and again, I go back to my original point. I would really like to have more weight bared on the fact that these guys were at, actually witnessed by the, some of these voters. It's chilly outside, and we're all dreaming of the summer months when we can enjoy a little bit more time together outside. And Cardinal Special Events offers all sorts of unique, unique options for celebrating outdoors at beautiful Bush Stadium. From cocktails on the warning track to brunch in the bullpen, your group will be sure to make memories that will last a lifetime. You can visit cardinals.com slash events to find out more. All right, stick around. we got a lot more to do in this hour. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to catch up with a Cardinals Hall of Famer, a new one, Tommy Herr. Up next, we'll catch up with General Manager Mike Gersh here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. All right, we continue on with the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here. And Claibs, uh, one of the nice things about moving into 2021 is hopefully we'll get the chance to do some things more normally. In 2020, we didn't quite get the chance, at least in terms of doing the ceremonies and everything, to celebrate the Hall of Fame class, the Cardinals Hall of Fame class of 2020. But we're doing that here virtually, and of course we'll hope to do that coming up this summer. And happy to have Tom Hur with us, a member of that 2020 class. And first of all, Tom, Happy New Year and congratulations, man. That is one heck of an honor. Well, thank you, Kevin, and a Happy New Year to you guys. Um, yeah, it was quite an honor for me just to be on the ballot and uh, have Whitey to thank for that. You know, he's been uh, he's been fighting for me the, the last uh, few times around trying to get me on the ballot. What was it like for you when you got the call? Because I, I know a lot of people, when they go through this Hall of Fame process, whether it's the Cardinals Hall of Fame or virtually any Hall of Fame, the waiting and the anticipation and the hope that goes into it. But what was it like when you got the phone call? You know, it was a great, great day for our whole family. We we were ecstatic, to say the least, and very thrilled and stunned, really. Quite honestly, I was stunned about it because, um, y- you know, there were uh, two National Hall of Famers on that ballot, and Lee Smith and Steve Carlton, and, of course, uh, you know, some other great players, Keith Hernandez and uh, and Morris and Edgar Renteria and uh, you know, it, it was uh it was a good class and uh for for John and I to get in there was uh was a thrill for both of us and 
and and neat because you know we were teammates and 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 important parts of those great teams in the eighties. So uh, it, it was it was really a thrill for me to to get that call. Tom, take us uh, back to your early days as a big leaguer. So you know, seventy nine, eighty, eighty one, really before the Cardinals became Whitey Ball, before it became what we all know it to be now. How, how much did things change over those first few years of your big league career? Well, the culture changed. You know, when I was coming up through the minor leagues, you know, I I was, uh, you know, I was an undrafted free agent uh, signed out of Legion Ball at the end of the summer after I graduated from high school. So I, I didn't come to spring training till the following spring, which was 1975, and. You know, you, you talk about starting at the bottom of the barrel. I mean, I, I was I was basically a nobody, and you know, that first year I learned how to switch hit, and that was that was big for me because that gave me something to really work on and uh, spend the extra time at. And I, you know, I was a, I was a speed guy at that time, so hitting from the left side was advantageous to me, and. Uh, you know, I was always able to make contact. I, I certainly couldn't drive the ball from the left side, but I could make contact. I could put it in play, and I had a chance. You know, if I could put it in play to to be able to beat you know beat balls out or whatever. And uh, you know, at that time, the, the switch hitters were it was it was a huge thing in the Cardinal organization. There were there were many switch hitters at the big league level back in that era. You know, had guys like Jerry Mumphrey and uh, Gary Templeton, Ted Simmons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Scott, um, you know, so they they were kind of in the business of, of uh, developing switch hitters. So that that was kind of a feather in my cap. I think that uh, that I kind of got, uh, you know, got on my way with the, the switch hitting thing. And you know, as I progressed through the the minor league system, um, you know, George Kissel was very. Uh, you know, he was, I'm not sure what his title was back then, but, you know, he was basically the minor league coordinator is what I would call him. You know, he was, you know, he kind of took me under his wing. And, and you know, I, I was fortunate enough to have managers like uh, Tom Burgess, my my rookie year, who, who taught me a lot of things. And, uh, of course, uh, Hal Lanier was, was instrumental in the early part of my career. And, and uh you know, a lot of guys, uh, Buzzy Keller was a, a base running guru that really helped. And so, you know, I got good instruction coming up through. When I finally got called up to the big leagues in 79, you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of an end of a era in, in Cardinal history. You know, that's Lou Brock was at the end of his career and, uh, you know, it was kind of a transitional phase between the old and, and, and some of the new faces that were there. And then, of course, the big change came when Whitey, Whitey took over and he kind of sat back and looked at things and, and decided that, uh, you know, playing in Bush Stadium, it didn't make a lot of sense to, to try to load up with power hitters because it, it certainly wasn't a – a good venue for that. And of course, the whole National League was like that. You know, you had a lot of the cookie cutter uh, astroturf stadiums that that were basically all the same. They were big ballparks and fast surfaces. So, you know, his success in Kansas City playing in that type of facility was to 
you know, was to attack it with speed, which, which helps you both offensively and defensively. So, you know, he kind of, uh, he kind of brought that philosophy with him and, you know, that fit my style of play, which was good for me. And, uh, you know, with the backing of, of, uh, the, the people that I mentioned before playing for them in the minor leagues, you know, uh, Hub Kittle was another guy that, that was familiar with me. So I had some, you know, I had some people in the farm system that were in my corner and, and, uh, you know, Whitey gave me a chance to play and, and decided I was the guy that could, you know, fit into that kind of, you know, makeup that he wanted. You know, I had some really good years in the minor leagues, you know, you know, I stole a lot of bases, uh, hit for high average. So, you know, the credentials were there, but stepping over that threshold to the big leagues is always difficult, no matter how good you were in the minor leagues. So, you know, it took me a couple of years to adjust to, you know, facing uh, guys like Tom Seaver and Steve Carlton and, and, you know, guys that you kind of grow up idolizing and now you're, you know, you're trying to get a hit off Nolan Ryan, you know, it's, <laughs> so it, 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 it's, it was very intimidating for me early in my career. But we had success there, obviously, in, in 82, right off the bat. That was, that was uh, you know, only my, really only my second year of, of, of being up there and playing regularly. And, you know, I was a minor part of that team. You know, I played every day and, and certainly, uh, you know, moved throughout the lineup, hit at the top of the lineup some, hit at the bottom of the lineup some. And, so, you know, that was kind of a, kind of a year for me to, to really learn a lot and, I obviously got better throughout the middle uh, middle part of the '80s, but uh, it was it was awesome to uh, experience winning a world championship. And you know, I was used to winning. You know, we uh, my teams uh, that I was on in the minor leagues won at every level. You know, we won a we won a Appalachian League title in Johnson City. We won a Florida State League title in in, the, in uh, St. Pete. We won the Texas League when I played in Arkansas, and we won the American Association when I played in Springfield. So I was used to winning, and uh, so for for me to come up and, and contribute to that winning atmosphere at the big leagues was huge. Once again, many thanks to 2020 Cardinals Hall of Famer Tom Hur for joining us here on the show. And, of course, uh, great conversation with John Tudor last hour as well. Always fun when we can catch up with some Cardinals legends. I want to remind you, for the best baseball content and hot stove updates this offseason, follow at MLB on Twitter, on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All right, stick around. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Michael Hall. We'll tell you all about what's going on with the virtual winter warm-up. That's next up here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. On the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show, presented by Amron here on the Cardinals Radio Network. Mike Claiborne, Kevin Wheeler with you here. Happy to be joined once again by Michael Hall, the Cardinals Vice President of Cardinals Care and Community Relations. And, of course, uh, Happy New Year to you, Michael. Last time we talked, it was 2020. Now it's 2021. We appreciate you joining us again. I know last time we talked, too, we teased some of what will be coming for the virtual winter warm-up. The beauty of talking now is we know a little bit more about how that's going to look, and we can tell people how they can be a part of it. Mike, Kevin, thank you for having me. Happy New Year to both of you. Uh, yes, we uh, we did tease that a little bit, didn't we? And uh, now we're, those those experiences are actually on sale. And, you know, we're really excited about the, the lineup, if you will, that we've put together. There's a total of 14 different experiences or opportunities for fans to be able to, you know, 
see and hear from our players um, while you know we're on break between between seasons and and still be able to try to continue that tradition of winter warm-up, although doing it in a virtual space. And, Michael, this is obviously a new thing for everyone. Uh, what do you think the fans are going to really get a kick out of? Because, as I mentioned, it, it's a first time for all of us, but I'm sure there's some things that you've run across that you say, you know what, this this will be something we may have to stick with from, from now on because I think people are going to have a good time with it. Yeah, I, I think that, one, there's, as I mentioned, there's 14 different uh, separate experiences, and each one of them has its own particular theme. And some of these themes are baseball-related, and, and there's a couple of them that, that really aren't. Uh, it gives you an opportunity to kind of see the the players um, in their home environment, if you will, or wherever they may be. They may not necessarily be at home, but just in a different environment, you know, not in uniform, um, not necessarily talking baseball. You know, we're doing one, for instance, with Paul DeYoung. It's called In the Kitchen with Paul DeYoung. He's he's really into cooking. He's an avid cooker, and that's what the, the experience is going to be about, is him talking about his love for cooking and sharing some of his favorite recipes and that's going to be moderated by Brad Thompson. And, you know, that's just an example of, of one of the the experiences that we've put together. So I, I think it's an opportunity for fans to not only get some of that baseball talk that we we know that, that our fans love, but also get to see a different side of the players as well. So people looking for information, it's easy. Just go to cardinals.com slash WWU, and they're all listed there. And I think I think that's the thing that's most attractive to me, Michael, when I look at this is – you have the combination of the personality side, right? There's a there's a, a session with Dexter Fowler and Harrison Bader and Jack Flaherty on the best dressed guys on the team. Uh, you mentioned uh, one of those with, with cooking with Paul DeYoung. There's also one that's kind of like a newlywed game with uh, the the couple of players and their wives. But then there's also the hardcore baseball stuff for people that want that. Um, you know, in you know stuff with the infielders. You know, doing some instructional stuff. I know there's some catching instruction thing going on there. People can learn about the broadcast booth. I really think that the variety of things can fit really what anybody might be looking for. Yeah, and and we tried to do that purposefully. Um, we know that our fans are, you know, our fans are great, and they, they really know baseball and they love baseball. But, you know, they also love our players, and they and they want to know a little bit more about them. And, and this this virtual experience gives us an opportunity to do that where you don't really get that opportunity at, as an, at an in-person warm-up. And, you know, a couple of them that you mentioned, and, you know, you guys are part of a couple of them. I know Mike is moderating the, the infielder uh, insight is what we call it. Um, and, you know, that involves all of our infielders and, and just, you know, talking baseball with them. And then the, the broadcast one that you mentioned, Kevin, you're uh, been graceful, grace, gracious enough to to moderate for us and just uh, get some insight uh, of what it's like to set up for a game, what mm-hmm. our broadcasters go through and how they prepare to, to do a game. We thought that would be interesting for fans. And so we tried to sprinkle in a little bit of everything, and hopefully our fans find it attractive. All right, so we kind of laid the groundwork on what's in store. What's the best way people can get involved, get online, and, and how does that work? Because I, I think what you'll see, instead of having those fans in the hotel, they may be around the computer taking this all in as a group. And I'm sure with certain things that are going to be out there, the specialty elements are certainly something people are going to want to latch on to. So what's the best way? 
Yeah, the best way, and really the only way, is to go to cardinals.com slash WWU. What we've done is we've put everything that is happening as far as winter warm-up is concerned on one page at one site for everyone's convenience. You know, currently we've our 50-50 is currently running. It has been running. I mentioned that the last time that, that we chatted. Um, currently the, the total pot is up over $10,000. You can find the information about that on the site. Currently, autographs are still uh, on sale, autographed baseballs and photos. That's on the site. And then now that our uh, virtual experiences are up and, and running, you can find out the, the descriptions of each of the, of the experiences, the cost, the time, uh, all that's up on the site. And then uh, on Winter Warm-Up Weekend, when the virtual experiences actually happen, our silent auctions will actually start as well. And uh, next week we'll get the list of the silent auction items up on the site as well. So cardinals.com slash WWU is where you'll find the information about all the things that are part of Winter Warm-Up in 2021. I got to say, Michael, you guys did a pretty fantastic job in putting all of this together and giving everybody an opportunity. And look, these experiences, the virtual experiences too, pretty nice price point for people. And we're talking 15, 20, 25 bucks if you want to be a part of these things. Well, thank you, Kevin. We appreciate that that compliment. And and when you talk about the pricing, I, I just hope fans realize, you know, it's it's fifteen twenty dollars for the family. Uh, you know, right. Mike, you mentioned gathering around the computer screen or however you may may view the content. Um, you know, everyone can sit down and, and view the experience for that price point. So hopefully, uh, fans will find something that they're interested in and, and participate. And and we we hope that you know fans are excited about it. And again, just to remind everyone, this is fundraiser for us. This is for Cardinals Care, and this is for kids in the community, and, and the money raised goes back into the community to support kids and young people. So we encourage fans to, to go to cardinals.com slash WWU, take a look, and uh, hopefully you'll find something you like. Always fun having Michael Hall with us uh, to tell us a bit about what's going on with Cardinals Care. Obviously a great cause, uh, raising money for children's charities in St. Louis. And again, a reminder that you can just go to cardinals.com slash WWU to check out all of the different virtual experiences. There are a lot of different ways. And I, as I mentioned with Michael, it, it's, it's a pretty good price point. I mean, you're talking $15, $20, $25, and a whole group of you can gather around the computer or TV, however you want to set it up, and enjoy some of those great programs. Stick around. Coming up next, we'll wrap up the show and give away another 2021 Cardinals calendar right here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network. The 2021 Cardinals calendar celebrates 12 epic moments in Cardinals history and gets you ready for baseball with the spring training and regular season schedules in place. You can get yours at area grocers and retailers, or you can get it by calling 314-345-9000. Now, that's how most of you will be able to get it. One of you could get really lucky right now. We're going to give away the 2021 Cardinals calendar to our first caller at 314-531-1120. That's 314-531-1120. First caller gets the 2021 Cardinals calendar for tonight. Uh, Many thanks to all of our guests that joined us here on the Countdown Show today. Uh, Happy to talk ball with John Rooney and John Tudor and Tommy Herr. Uh, many thanks to Mike Gersh for jumping in and joining us as well. David Kaplan from Chicago giving us the latest on what's going on with the Cubs. And happy to have the first show of the new year in the books. And, of course, we're looking at, we think, spring training in about six weeks. And as we build up, hopefully we'll get some momentum going, some off-season moves happening, and have a little bit more to 
kind of lay the groundwork for what 2021 is going to look like as we move forward. Many thanks to everybody for tuning in. And, of course, on behalf of Mike Claiborne, I just want to say thanks to everybody for checking us out. We appreciate you. We'll talk to you next week here on the Cardinals Countdown to Opening Day show presented by Amron on the Cardinals Radio Network.